0: A major security vulnerability will be found in someone's web application this week. The OWASP top 10 list of web application vulnerabilities has recently been updated. I think it was towards the end of 2021 that it was updated. Uh, But that's still fairly recent considering it doesn't get updated that often.
1: It'd be funny if somebody hacked their
0: site to update it. That would be hilarious, yes. In this episode, we're going to go through the new top 10, looking at each vulnerability and talking about how it relates to the previous list from 2017. And there's a few new ones that weren't on there. So we're going to discuss those. But before we get started, Will, how have you been vulnerable this week?
1: (laughs) How have I been vulnerable? Uh, I've been dealing with support week stuff. So it's been,
2: uh,
1: yeah, so like the teams rotate. And it's not like we have an, an overly large number of bugs or anything. It's the uncertainty because you're like, well, I could have a really bad week and I don't really know. This week has been pretty awful, but it's just you get one of those that's that's a bit of a, a limit every so often. And so that's what I've been dealing with it, at work. And I I need to get a haircut and can't really go do that right now. Yeah. Next week. <laughs> because, yeah. Next week. Yeah. Like Friday afternoon. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. How about you?
0: So I am leaving on a jet plane. But I do know when I'll be back again. Wait. Yeah. Getting ready for my trip to Albania. I forget. Man, I I go on mission trips, you know, and I always forget how much I end up spending in prep. Because, like, you think about, like, you raise funds for the actual mission. But you don't think about, oh, all the stuff that I have to buy for the trip. And so it's just like I've been going through that. Went over to Bargain Hunt, found a bunch of stuff there, like snacks to take with, a few other things. Still have a handful of items that I need to get before I leave. So, and some of it's like things that can be reused each year. Some of it is things that I need to find because I don't know where my blow up pillow went for sleeping on the plane. Might have to get a new one. So, just stuff like that, little incidentals, and like hand sanitizer and motion sickness meds, those sorts of things. You know, all these little bitty things you just don't think about until it's like, oh hey, I need to get all of these for a trip, and so that's sort of what I'm going through. And so for our ministry days, we had originally been told we had to wear like jeans or long pants or something, and. So I bought, you know, with the weight loss, I have you know not had that many pairs of jeans. So I bought a few more pair of jeans to take with me. About two days after I got them, we got a message saying, hey, you can now wear shorts. It's like, Ugh. so I kept the jeans because I mean, hey, I'm going to wear them and they're super comfy. Uh, American Eagle. They should pay me to advertise for them. But uh, anyway, so I went and bought some shorts. And so. Now I've got some shorts and some jeans to wear. So it's going to be good. But uh, yeah, just getting ready. Going to start packing probably tomorrow night. And then I've got to pack a separate backpack because I'm flying back from Albania and then leaving my group and flying down to Alabama for a leadership conference. And so I'm packing a backpack of clothes for that to send with the team that's going down there so that I don't have to take those clothes all the way to Albania and back, you know?
1: Nice. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So you're going to
0: Albania, as it were. Albania. Yeah, there you go. Wow. I can't believe you said that. but Yes, I can. I did. It doesn't surprise me. Anyway, it's going to be a good trip. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to go see my friends over there. bit nervous about my skills with the language because yeah you know, I, I post stuff and it's it's easy to write and translate, but speaking it is a whole different game. Yes, it is. And so I'm going to, to do my best. I have learned how to say, how do you say? So either I could say, see Chuhet, which is literally how do you say, or see a numerin. I think that's it. Yeah. Emerin. So the, what is the name? So, but yeah, yeah. So there's a, a couple ways I can I can say that. I think I got that last one wrong. I'll probably just say head, because I know that one. What's it called? But yeah, so I can I can be asking people like you know, what is this? It's a pen in English. I don't know what it is in Albanian. I literally don't. I don't think it's ever come up in any of my lessons. Anyway, so that's what I've got going on. That's exciting.
1: Saving money is hard, especially when you're a world traveler.
0: True that, yo. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado.
1: And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action on that plan so that you can live your best
0: life. Guys, investing in financial planning services It really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself and another trip across the seas.
1: Level Up has a unique pricing model as well that will help you no matter where you are in your financial
0: journey. And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not here to sell you a product but instead to help guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast,
1: Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably are facing. And he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. You can learn more at levelupfinancialplanning.com.
0: Web security vulnerabilities are expensive and massively destructive. They can result in identity theft, illegal content ending up on your server, or even having your machine be used to attack other people's computers. In addition, many of the worst vulnerabilities are not entirely obvious when you're trying to write code to actually accomplish something.
1: The Open Web Application Security Project, or OWASP, is a worldwide, not-for-profit organization focused on improving the security of software. OWASP issues software tools and knowledge-based documentation on application security. And they put together a document containing the top 10 security vulnerabilities compiled through consensus of security experts from around the world. The goal is to spread awareness and help minimize these risks. And every few years, this document gets updated.
0: So the OWASP top 10 are based around the common weakness enumerations, or CWEs which is a community-developed list of software and hardware weaknesses. It basically allows for a common language and sort of a baseline for identifying vulnerabilities in software and hardware. Each of the top 10 have multiple CWEs associated with it. Another basis for the top 10 is the Common Vulnerability and Exposure, CVE, which is a list of publicly known security vulnerabilities. The idea behind the CVE is to share information about vulnerability and security patches.
1: In this episode, we are looking at the newest list of top 10 web application security risks from OWASP. For each one, we'll talk about the differences between where it is now and where it was in 2017 when we last covered this topic. And there are three new ones and some have been removed or combined. We'll also look at each vulnerability and how you can mitigate it.
0: Yeah. So, number one, and if you've been paying attention over the years, you'll notice that something has changed here because the number one on the list is broken access control. Uh, This moves up from the number five position in 2017 to number one, in the end of 2021, which is when the, when this list was created, there are more broken access control occurrences than any other category in the top 10.
1: Yeah, and that is absolutely no surprise as systems have got more complex. Mm-hmm. Basically, what a broken access control is, is this is something that occurs when an application doesn't strictly enforce constraints around what a user is allowed to do. Attackers can abuse failures in this to conduct operations for which they don't have permission.
0: Mm-hmm. Like an example of this might be an application that allows users to edit data belonging to another user by mistake
1: or intentionally.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that matter. Another example might be if it doesn't have good control over access levels and you can just pass in a JSON object that says, hey, I'm an admin, and suddenly you're an admin,
1: yeah, which is there's some interesting stuff around serialization boundaries there too that used to be a bigger deal i I'm, I'm hoping people are better about it now that enough people have been burned, but yeah, it's definitely a thing
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: yeah, we can always hope now to address this problem, security constraints should deny access by default instead of allow. By default,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And in addition, you should log access control violations and alert administrators of problems, right? Like if you can't see that this problem is existing, then you actually don't know if it's happening and it's going to get a lot worse real quick.
2: Yeah.
0: So the next one is cryptographic failures. This was previously known as sensitive data exposure. So in, in 2017, uh, that's what we were calling it. But they found that's more of a symptom than the actual cause of the risk. It moves up from the third spot to the second because of the impact it has on exposing sensitive data. It's not as common as some of the others, but it is higher in the priority list because of its impact.
1: Right. And this occurs when an application does not correctly protect access to sensitive uh, data. And this allows data theft and possibly damage to the data on the system, right? Like, it's not just, hey, they steal the data, but they could corrupt the data. Mm -hmm. And that can be a whole lot more fun in certain circumstances.
0: (laughs) (laughs) True that. An example of this would be a situation where data isn't being encrypted while in transit. Or at rest on the server.
1: Yeah. I mean, people think that their database is always protected, you know, because it's the innermost ring of your app. And it's like, that's great, but if I can get to the DevOps personnel's connection, I can get into your database. Yep. And that's that. So you definitely don't want to treat this lightly. And in order to avoid
0: it. Yeah. I'll say not not just that though, but like you're you're thinking about Someone coming in and getting access through that way, but you could have malicious employees. Yeah. That's another thing that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. And insider
1: threats are going to be a, honestly, I think those are going to be a rising set of issues as the situation in Europe continues and as situations start in other places and we poke our nose in, there's going to be more of that, especially in critical industries. So it's Mm -hmm. important to pay attention. And to avoid these problems, you need to limit the amount of sensitive data that you actually store and make sure that it is encrypted, whether it is being moved or whether it is sitting somewhere. It's always encrypted.
0: All right. So number three, this one should sound familiar because it used to be number one for a very, very long time. That is injection. It is actually the second most common after broken access control. but it was moved to the third place on the list because of the effects of cryptographic failures. Also, cross-site scripting has been added to injection instead of being its own category because it is sort of a form of injection.
1: Yeah, and I can see that because it's a a similar thought process.
2: Yeah.
0: And
1: really what happens with injection is this occurs when untrusted data is sent to an interpreter. The interpreter is then tricked into executing some sort of hostile command. Mm-hmm. And this can result in data corruption or in data access without the appropriate permissions.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. If you noticed, all the top three of these here have to do with accessing data that you shouldn't have. Yeah. Like sensitive data, especially.
1: Yeah, well, and the fun thing with injection is very often used to write data as somebody else. Right, because if I can inject a malicious form onto a website, you know, where they think, oh, it's just going to be raw HTML and there's not going to be anything actionable in there, I can make them do stuff with their browser with their credentials when they're logged in, and you know, get around audit trails and those kind of things that might otherwise catch some of those those issues.
0: Basically, anytime you you have data with a user interface, it could potentially get concatenated or put into a command. Yep. To avoid this, never trust unsanitized user input, especially when using string manipulation to build a command from it. As an example, you want to use parameterized queries for SQL. You should always be doing that, like
1: well, and I mean there's even like at the SQL level, there's there's good reasons to do that even yeah. regardless of The security implications. Yeah, so that's pretty important. So the next one is insecure design. Um, And this one is brand new. Uh, This is a new category that focuses on the risks related to design flaws. And it calls for more secure design patterns and principles as well as better architecture.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty broad category and is sort of best described as missing or ineffective control design. It's different from insecure implementation. As with a poor implementation, the design could be secure. You just didn't do it right. But even if you have perfect implementation of an insecure design, you're going to not have the necessary security in place to protect from threats because your design was flawed.
1: Right. So a really good example of this, and this was probably more important a year ago than it is now, <laughs> would be a site that sells computer parts but doesn't have any protection against bots buying cards like you know high-end computer cards, uh, video cards, and scalping them and then mm-hmm. reselling them on an auction website. An anti-bot design could have prevented this problem and probably also would have ticked off your QA, but that is one area that is, is an interesting problem set. But you know, this is kind of what they're talking about. It's like, your app isn't wrong. It's just that the reality has changed. You know, and people do things. ReCAPTCHA is a great example of something that is built to try to stop this sort of thing.
0: So to prevent this, you want to use a secure development lifecycle. Evaluate and build security and privacy safeguards. Use threat modeling when designing systems to better understand where threats will be coming from actually put a card in our Kanban for doing an episode on threat modeling. So also you want to build with security in mind and you can do that just by adding it to your user stories when you're creating them. Like put that as part of the acceptance criteria.
1: Yeah, I was uh, recently on the Humans of InfoSec podcast Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I brought up honestly off the top of my head during the discussion was you, know, you have like uh, user personas for the different users in your system. Add a user persona for somebody who shouldn't be there mm. because you need to figure out what that looks like and how you're going to determine who they are. And that was just kind of something I came up with during the conversation, but it, it is very, very important. So the next one is security misconfiguration. This one got moved one spot up. It was number six in 2017. It's a bigger deal now because we configure the crap out of all the things, and it also, you know, contains stuff like uh, XML external entities, you know, XXE. We have a lot of configuration, you know, in the pipeline. Like we do a whole lot more configuring of apps, and it's very, very easy to screw something up.
2: Yeah,
0: and this occurs because of the misconfiguration of a system that allows a malicious user to do something that shouldn't be allowed. This can range from incorrectly configured access control, number one on this list, to overly verbose error messages that expose sensitive data. That's coming up later too. It can also refer to having an old version of the software running that isn't caught up on the patches. and That's very dangerous.
1: Yeah. Now... XML processors can often reference external entities. So like you have a document and it's like, hey, this thing exists over here on this website, which means that if this gets compromised, you can get all kinds of problems. Uh, It can disclose confidential data. It can do a denial of service attack on somebody else's server. It can port scan. There's really no limit to how much damage you can do with some of these kind of things, which is one of the reasons I don't overly love XML in general. It's just a relic from an earlier age.
0: So an example of this might be a particular MongoDB databases that were sitting out on the open web back when uh, we wrote the first episode about this. Or, for example, an XML file referencing an external entity, usually specified by a URI, that can be compromised. And the contents at the compromised location will then replace the referenced entity.
1: and. You know, to mitigate this, you need to make sure that your machines stay patched and they carefully follow best practice instructions for configuring assets for security. You want to try to, you know, if you're de- dealing with XML, disable DTDs—that's Document Type Definitions—to reduce the attack surface. And remember that not all software packages ship with sensibly secure defaults. I'm actually dealing yeah. with this on my on my NAS right now. We've got a Docker container, and it, it works great, except it's not password protected.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's on the internal network and I'm not overly worried about it, but I'm actively looking for something to replace it. It's package management setup.
0: Number six, vulnerable and outdated components. This is formerly known as using components with known vulnerabilities. It was ranked second in the community survey, and moves up from number nine based on the data analysis. This is the only vulnerability that doesn't have a um, common vulnerability and exposure mapped out for it.
1: Right, because it's it's what happens when a vulnerability has been found. Yeah, most people build applications and make at least some use of third-party components and libraries this vulnerability type occurs when you use a component that has a vulnerability that is already known. Note that this doesn't mean known to you. It can also mean known to some hostile government somewhere. This one is going to be much more important in the soon times. Just so you know, it already is.
0: Yeah. It may move up in the list on the next list that comes out in a few years. So when we do that episode in a few years, You know, expect this to move up in the list. That's my prediction. Same. (laughs) So an example of this is any number of WordPress plugins. Yep. That have known and serious vulnerabilities in them. If you use these plugins in your site, not that we haven't done that, People can write scripts to try and find sites that have the insecure plugin and then attack them in mass. That's what happened to us when apparently someone was selling knockoff purses on our site. Yeah. Yeah. We found it when we got the cease and desist. And we did. We ceased and desisted.
1: Yes, we did. And we paid 600 bucks to get it fixed too, which was yeah. not something I wanted to do but it was better than (laughs) having Gucci mad at us. As an aside, I feel like WordPress plugins is almost as hard to say quickly in a sentence as Irish wristwatch. Just as complete non sequitur there. Yeah, so to mitigate this problem, you have to stay on top of security advisories for the software that you're relying on. This also means mapping out all the software that you're relying on so that you actually know. You should not be getting surprised by vulnerabilities and updates and stuff in packages that you're dependent on. You have to be proactive and get ahead of this. And honestly, try to limit your use of third-party libraries that don't seem to do a good job of patching their issues when they have them. Because what you don't want to do is have something, some vulnerability come out and it takes them six months to get around to it, to fix it. That's real bad for the existence of your stuff.
0: So number seven... Identification and authentication failures. This uh, was formerly known as broken authentication. This risk has moved from number two down to number seven. Standardization of frameworks has really helped to mitigate this so that while it's still a risk, it's not as high on the list.
1: Yeah, and you've also got a lot of stuff out there that is specialized for this, right? Like, uh, you know, you got all 0 type setups and like where this is not your problem, it's somebody else's problem. That's actually a cheaper solution and <laughs> less painful. And so like th- they've pushed a lot of people into the pit of success on this, which has definitely helped. Authentication failures occur when an application incorrectly implements authentication or session management procedures. That end up compromising things like passwords, keys, session tokens, uh, that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And where you you don't like have good timeouts on your tokens and things.
1: Yeah, you just keep them forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's another another thing here. An example might also be the reuse of stolen credentials, such as passwords.
1: Right, and if you manage any production web app, you will see when hackers get a hold of one of these password lists because they'll start slamming your server and you'll get all these authentication failures for people that are in the system. There's a lot of breaches of that stuff still happening. It's less than it used to be, but it is still bad enough. Mm -hmm. Now to avoid this, you need to build features to check for weak passwords um, and make people stop using them. Limit the number of incorrect login attempts and also don't necessarily tell them, Hey, your password was incorrect. Just say, you know, this username and password combination does not exist.
0: Or it doesn't match.
1: Yeah, or it doesn't match. You know, something like that versus telling them which one is wrong. Like, increase the number of things that, that they have to get right uh, to actually get in. And, you know, honestly, you can go a lot further with this and implement a multi-factor login. That's what a lot of places are doing now. It was a big deal in you know 2017. It's kind of commonplace now. Like, a lot of people know what this is because people took
0: their computers home for two years. Yeah, I just like uh, throwing up a, hey, unknown user. (laughs) Yeah, like I've been doing some authentication work on an application. It's just like unknown user. See an admin to get yourself added. Number eight, software and date integrity failures. This is another new category in the top 10. And it focuses on updates, critical data, and CI-CD pipeline integrity. It includes the uh, insecure deserialization from the 2017 list.
1: So an insecure CI or CD pipeline, you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, creates the groundwork for unauthorized access, malicious code, or system compromise. Uh, You know, a lot of systems now include auto update functionality, which basically means that updates are downloaded without sufficient integrity checks and applied to the previously trusted application. So attackers could potentially upload their own updates to be distributed and run on all installations. Uh, This gets even more fun if you think about things like NPM packages. Yeah. Not that there's been any problems with those yet, but I mean, someday there will be, I'm sure.
0: Not even going to go there on the, you know, the left
1: shift. Yeah, yeah, don't left pad anything.
0: Left pad, that was it. Left pad.
1: Or uh, was it there was an RPC one? I think like a node RPC or something that
0: had a pretty nasty one. Yeah. So serialization is the process of taking a structure in memory and converting it into a format that can be stored. Deserialization is the process going the other direction. For instance, deserialization occurs when a payload is sent to a web endpoint in JSON format. The server will load that payload into a data structure rather than a stream of bytes.
1: Yeah, and this is something that developers easily forget about because that serialization boundary is hidden by abstraction. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, I just received this object on the HTTP endpoint. It's like, no, you didn't. And it's, it's really easy to get bitten if you forget this. Yeah. Now to mitigate this problem, you need to verify the software data is from the expected source through digital signatures or something similar and only use libraries from trusted sources or host your own internal version of things that is actually vetted. So you might have your own internal package management server, which is what I have here, because you don't necessarily know that the newest version that just came out is actually going to be okay. You don't want to necessarily upgrade until you're sure that it is and or push it out to all of your web servers and or all of your clients.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I've had to actually ask for certain things to be updated in our internal package manager because I'm like, hey, I need the newer version of this and it's been out for a couple of years. I think we should be good. And so I had to go through that whole process. Of security and vetting and oh my it was a pain but we got it because we needed it well I mean there was one was it six or seven
1: months ago or no it wasn't that long I guess it was more like February or early March where there was a node package that got updated and it looked for Russian IPs and deleted data yeah I remember that and you know it hit somebody that was working from Belarus with a VPN going into Russia because they were documenting the stuff that was going on and deleted data that really needed to not be deleted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it probably was exactly the opposite of what the people that wrote that thing intended to do. It's definitely a, a pretty major issue with yeah. any kind of automatic update. Like you just really can't trust that that works. Mm-hmm. So the next issue is security logging and monitoring failures. And this moves up from number 10 and was renamed from insufficient logging and monitoring This category has been expanded to include more types of failures, though still not well represented in CVE data.
0: No, there's not not a lot of data there with it, but uh, it does encompass more types of failures. Insufficient logging and monitoring of your application can result in you failing to notice an attack while it's occurring. Uh, This makes it less likely that you will notice something in time to actually mitigate the damage. This is why logging is so important.
1: Yeah, and alerting. I mean, like you use Azure at work, right? Like, you know, you can set up the, their equivalent of CloudWatch is, like you can set up a, a query and it's basically like when it hits a threshold of this many things that match, it sends a message. I can't, What is the Azure logging platform called? I can't remember what it's called. Application Insights. Application Insights. This is twice today I've forgotten this because we use it to... But you, you know it's not just capture it in a log, like you got to actually do something with it because people are not going to be actively looking at logs. That's the most mm-hmm. boring thing in the world, so people don't, don't expect people to do that. But a really good example of this kind of problem would be a server whose login system is under attack, but that fails to record incorrect authentication attempts. You might notice such an attack if it were actually being logged. You know, hey, there's been a thousand attempts from wherever in the last hour. maybe we ought to stop that. But if you don't notice it, you have no idea that somebody's going to try to, you know, somebody's trying to break in. And so they have as much time as they need.
2: Yeah.
0: We can't harp on this enough, but you really need to be treating logging as a first class citizen in your development environment. Having logs for the administrators is as important as having a UI for the users. That sounds like kind of an ivory tower approach. But it will make your application so much easier to debug and monitor if you do so, saving more than enough time to pay for itself. I know when I first started development, we did some contracting for a place that didn't have logging. And that was one of the things that that I brought in while I was on the contract. It was just like, hey. And it made such a big difference for everyone.
1: Yeah. And the fact is, it sounds like an ivory tower approach, but it's actually what doesn't happen in the ivory tower is the other thing. It's like this is something you learn from real world, basically getting hit in the face enough to realize, hey, that hurts. I probably need to know when I'm getting attacked. So the last one, um, and this one is also new, is server side request forgery. This final risk comes from the top 10 community survey with above average test coverage. This isn't really thought of as a major risk. But it's an example of security experts predicting that this will be something to keep an eye on in the next few years.
0: Yeah, this is where the data doesn't exactly support it, but it was such an issue brought up by the experts that it got added to the list. And this happens when a web application fetches a remote resource without validating the user-supplied URL. Attackers are able to coerce the application to send a request to an unexpected destination, even when protected by network access control, such as a firewall or a VPN.
1: Right. So a good example of this on Facebook, like if you drop a link on there, you know how it goes and pulls the article information and pulls the image. If you could coerce thousands of users to do that and Facebook was not caching that, you could DDoS a small web shop somewhere pretty easily. That's true. That's kind of the idea. Now, to mitigate this at the network layer, you need to segment resource access in separate networks and enforce deny-by-default policies.
0: And then to mitigate it at the application layer, don't trust user input. I think we've said that several times throughout this episode. Yeah, Uh, we have. Yeah. You want to enforce URL schema port and destination with a whitelist. Don't send raw responses back to clients, including errors. You know, you want to wrap those so that you're not giving out your information that you shouldn't. So guys, the security landscape is constantly changing. As new frameworks and patches come out to deal with existing issues, new issues arise because of them. Taking time to learn about the basics of how attacks work will help you build more secure applications. This has been sort of a high-level overview of the 10 biggest threats right now. Each one could be delved into much further, and there are other threats that are not as common, but just as serious. So use the information here as a starting point or even a re-entry point for learning more and building more secure applications. That's pretty much all we got. We will catch you guys next week. Stand by for
1: Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at Podcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Purebells, Bells, available on SoundCloud and
0: licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Pod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com.